Why don't you just raise your hands one more time? I'm going to pray. God, right now, we thank you for this holy moment. We don't want to neglect your presence. Maybe be more and more aware of who you are. We want to leave this place knowing you better. We want to leave this place hearing your voice more clearer. And we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're speaking and you're moving and that we will leave this place better, more happier, more full of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church. You can grab a seat, rest your feet. So summer is finally here. Last few months has been a bit cold in Port Lincoln, but this weekend summer is here. Who's been enjoying the beach? Yeah. Thank you. Jasmine, check out those flexing, eh? Jasmine doing a big flex. Good job, music team. Thank you very much. Let's give them a clap. Thank you for your leading us. Reminds me of my worship experience in the shower. Very good. Great job, Mark, um, on the sound. I was honestly going to say in the worship, I was like, that, it's been, you know, it's like a sport with an umpire where if you don't notice the umpires, they're normally doing a really good job. And it's like, if you don't notice any issues, the sound person doing, is doing a really good job. And then it's, but God's still here. God's still moving. And that was fantastic. And just a big shout out to God. You probably noticed that screen wasn't working. We've had some technical difficulties when our computers decided to die. But great job, Guy. We thank you for all your work out there. So, yeah, welcome to our 10.30 service, One Heart. We're so glad you're here. Um, you may have noticed, if this is like your first time in church or a church like this, you may have noticed some foreign things. People raising their hands, looking passionate with their eyes closed, singing lyrics that may not make sense. We, these are just simple ways that we express our love to God. We believe what those words are on the screen, and we believe that God can touch you and move in your life, and so that's what we do and why we do those things. So if we've never met, my name's Josh. I have the privilege of leading our youth ministry, and so we're starting back on the 31st of January here at 5 p.m. Oh, yeah, we got a little bit more excitement than the first service, but yeah, I'm really keen. I believe God's going to move in young people this year, and we're going to see people's lives transformed and breakthrough and stuff like that. Quickly, I just got some great friends here, Lucas and Esther. Some of the youth, when we were doing Zoom and COVID stuff the year up, Esther spoke for us. That was really cool, but it's great having you at church with us. And just a little update, Pastor Rob and Pauline, our lead pastors of One Heart, they're on the York Peninsula this week. Pastor Rob's ministering at Light Church. they got two locations at Edithburg and Ardrossan. So God's moving there, doing powerful things, and you get me. So I'm, glad, I'm sure you're all keen with that. So just a thing, uh, this week you may have been aware we had some fasting from Monday to Wednesday. I definitely was feeling it, I can tell you. And then, but it was really, here's a, even something even cooler, here's a testimony. Something that I prayed about during that time, someone spoke to me this, uh, just between services and said, hey Josh, and it was literally an answer of my fasting. And so I want to tell you, God still moves, but that wasn't it for the year. We still got, for the next three, or I think it's three Wednesdays for the rest of January, we still as a church fasting. I would encourage you, if it's one meal, every meal, I'd encourage you to seek God and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in One Heart Church? Because I believe God can do breakthroughs in our lives. And so we're having corporate gatherings of prayer at 7 p.m. here. Love to see you. And also, if you're a man, at 7 a.m. here as well. Please, the more the merrier. But that's, so that's just all adverts done. Great job. So uh, Luke 15, verse 7. The book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 7, says this. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. 
Pastor Rob, our senior pastor, has declared that we're moving into a season of the one. Could everybody say the one? The one. Pastor Rob has declared we're moving into a season of the one, and we truly believe that we want to see people meet Jesus, come to a right relationship with God, and we're going to do it one person at a time. And so One Heart Church, we are, not, we are going to be a salvation church. We're going to be a church where weekly people meet Jesus. I believe that. And uh, uh, we also are going to be a church that uh, One Heart Church is going to be a baptism church. We're going to be a church where people get dunked in water, fully immersed, and we're also going to be a church where people get filled with the Spirit. One Heart, I believe One Heart Church, we're going to be a church that is a, a discipleship church. People don't just meet Jesus, but we're going to be a church where people get discipled. They're going to learn what the Bible means, how it applies to their life. They're going to grow and develop in the giftings and the callings that God has for their life. One Heart Church is going to be a friendship church. This one really encourages me that the Bible says that God places the lonely in families. And so I believe that there's lonely people in Port Lincoln. There might be lonely people in this building today, but we're not just going to be a church where you come and clap your hands and leave. No, we're going to be a church where you go out, you have lunch with someone, you have dinner with someone. There's hospitality. We're going to be a church where you're included, that you're loved and valued, and no one leaves lonely. Do we believe, does someone believe that in this place? Can you clap your hands if you believe that we're going to be a church like that? And so we are going to plunder hell and populate heaven one person at a time until Port Lincoln, Elliston, and all that's in between is saved. That's what we, we're not here to play church. We're here for a job, and the job is to make Jesus known. Amen. So the one, the one. We're going to be looking in the book of Matthew chapter 20, and that's going to be our, I guess, our key uh, passage today of what we're going to break down and see how it applies. So if you're taking notes, there's going to be a thing on the screen here, and it says, Proximity symmetry. And obviously you see the crocodile mouth, crocodile mouth thing. In mass, you learn that that means greater than. Whatever's getting eaten is greater than. So we're saying that symmetry is greater than proximity. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so if you're taking notes as well, we're going to have three points, all starting with the letter B. All right, so hopefully that helps you out. Three letters, Bs, I guess three points. Let's see how we go. We ready? So Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at, we're going to read verses 29 to 34. Jesus heals two blind men. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road when they heard that Jesus was coming that way. They began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them, touched their eyes, and instantly they could, uh, instantly they could see, and they followed him. Mm. I'm going to pray again. Jesus, right now, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you that we're in South Australia, that coronavirus isn't stuffing our lives up. We just pray that in these moments right now, we pray for any offense, any negativity, anything that would cause us to push ourselves away from you. May those things be gone, be lifted off our lives, because we want to hear your voice clearly and be able to live a life that best glorifies you. Amen. We all agreed. Amen, amen, amen. So, point one, broken. People are broken. That's our first point. So, the first focus, I guess, that I want us to look from what we just read in Matthew 20 is the two blind guys. And so being blind meant their lives were broken. So if you're blind, you can't see. Your eyes don't work. 
And if you can't see and your eyes aren't working, your life is pretty broken. I don't know if you ever tried to walk around in the dark sometimes. It's pretty dangerous. There are witnesses in this place. It can be dangerous when you can't see because your eyes don't work. And so these two blind guys were in a pickle. They couldn't see. Their eyes didn't work. Their life was broken. Their lives didn't work and function the way they were meant to function, the way it was meant to work. And so for like those guys, they had need of Jesus. And for us, we may have a physical issue. It could be blindness. We could have another issue in our bodies, cancers, this, other things. We could have relational relationship brokenness, disconnections between a sibling, between a parent. There's so many things in our lives where we can find ourselves broken. And so, but the thing is, just like those two blind guys, they had a hope, and that was Jesus. I believe Jesus is what we need to help our brokenness. And so, uh, the bad news is all people are broken. Whether we, whether we admit it to it or not, we would say there's things in my life that are broken. But that's a good sign, that's a good indicator that you need Jesus. And so, the bad news is we all are broken, but the good news is, is that our brokenness isn't too hard for God. Our brokenness isn't too hard for Jesus. Our brokenness isn't an inconvenience for him. He's, our brokenness is the very reason why Jesus came. Our brokenness is the very reason why Jesus came to earth and did what he did to help us be freed from it. And so ultimately, at the end of this service, I'm going to give everyone in this building an opportunity. If you do not yet know who Jesus is as your Lord and as your Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to make Jesus your Lord, your Savior, and your Savior, that he can heal you from your brokenness. And at the end of the day, there's many physical, natural needs that we have brokenness in, but our biggest need, our biggest brokenness is our sin, and it's an issue because it separates us from God. And so we want to make sure that we're uh, connected to him properly. So point two, beware. So point one was broken. People are broken. Point two, beware. And we want to be beware of the crowd. Beware of the crowd. And so the second focus that we're going to look at from Matthew 20 was the crowd. And so when I, when I read this, this verse in Matthew sometime last year, it freaked me out. It gave me a really good scare, and I was like, mm. And so the scary thing is, is that the, the crowd knew what it was to be near Jesus, but the crowd was not like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that really gives me the hibbijibis. It's, it, it's like that scary noise at night. I'm like, what is I can be near Jesus, but not like Jesus. And so, uh, as I said in point one, we all start broken. Like, the, like those two blind guys, it says that they were broken, Jesus healed them, and then they followed Jesus. And we, we find ourselves in similar positions in life where we are broken, we meet Jesus, and then the, this is where the question comes in. Are we just following the crowd, or did we join the church? It's great to see Aaron in church. I love you, Aaron. But, the, but that's, that's what we come down to. Did we meet Jesus? Or did we just join the crowd? And that scares me a lot. Because the church needs to be aware of the dangers of crowd syndrome. Over-familiarity, becoming religious. And so I call that proximity. It's when we know how to get near Jesus, but we're not necessarily living like Jesus. And so the crowd knew how to get into proximity with Jesus. And so how do we get close to Jesus? There's many ways. We can read our Bible. Monday morning, I'll wake up and I'll do my devotion. I can read my Bible. I get close to Jesus. I read my Bible, then I pray. I'm getting close to Jesus. Um, I can come to church, a fantastic way of getting close to Jesus. And then in church, I know how to raise my hands. I know when to close my eyes. I know what words to sing. I know in church how to get close to Jesus. But here's the thing. Just because 
we're getting close to Jesus, there's an issue because there's nothing wrong with that. Those are good things. The issue is that being close to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean we're actually living like Jesus. And that, that is not, that's dangerous territory and we don't want to be there. So just because we have proximity does not mean we have symmetry. So the book of uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 has some great words for us. And so there's a, a man named Paul writing to this young man named Timothy. And this is what he says to him. So you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, now I'm going to pause there to break that down, the last days. We are living in last days. So what's, what's this last days about? So we believe in the rapture of the church. We believe there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back to bring the church up with him. So it's either I'm going to die and be raptured or I'm going to be alive and be raptured. Either way, there's a time coming where Jesus is coming back for the church and we're going to be taken up from this earth. That's what we believe as Christians. So Paul is saying, Timothy, in these last days, and then we're going to go into that. But here's the thing. So the Bible clearly says that we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to return. It's going to be unexpected like a thief in the night. The Bible says that if you knew a robber was going to come, you would make sure your doors are locked, that that no burglar is going to take your stuff. And in a similar way, we don't know when Jesus is coming, but we've got to be prepared. And it, it reminds me a bit of our washing machine at home. It's got, it has like a timer on it, so you can have different settings. Let's say it might be 45 minutes, 30 minutes. But so the washing machine, we're going, you think the house is about to go on to lift off. And then, but then, you, so you might go, well, I've got some things to do today. I want to hang that load out. So you might be like, oh, 10 minutes left. Okay, fair enough. You go back, oh, one minute left. And then you go, okay, well, I'm nearly about to prepare my next thing to do in the day. But then 10 minutes later, still on one minute left. And so the washing machine is a lot like Jesus. We don't know when it's about to finish. We don't know when he's coming, but he's, it's going to happen, happen soon. And we've got to be prepared and ready for that. So, but we're living in last days. And so this is what Paul tells to Timothy. And it's, re, it's very relevant to our lives today. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. Coronavirus. For people will only will be... Will, sorry, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And then verse 5 in the New King James Version says it like this, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Very interesting, a form of godliness and acting religious, but then they reject and deny the power that can make us holy. To me, that sounds a lot like the crowd. That sounds a lot like having proximity but no symmetry. I don't want to be a Christian that can just rock up and play church. I want to be a Christian that has a power of God that's actually living on purpose and being intentional. One Heart Church needs not be a people known for proximity, dead religion, but a people of symmetry, alive, moving with a fresh power of God, being a difference that our community needs. Amen? So what is symmetry? We're going to have an image here on the screen. Boom, there it is, symmetry. So the butterfly effect. So we see the perfect love heart. I said in the first service, who, who remembers like the brands uh, Quicksilver and Roxy? I was absolutely mind blown when I realised that Roxy was the Quicksilver one, like symmetry. And I was like, Phew. I was like, year eight kid. I was like, what? 
how could I not know that? But there's perfect symmetry. So we see there like the apple, uh, the airplane. Perfect symmetry is when you have on that on the parallel line, it's both on either sides. That we get, we, are, we know what symmetry is. Yes. So then uh, you might call it a butterfly effect, mirror image, perfect reflection. Planet Shakers had a great song when I was growing up called "I Want to Be a Reflector." I want to be a reflector, and the. But it's a great, great song because it's saying we want to reflect Jesus in our lives. We want perfect symmetry to what Jesus does. We want that as a reflection in my life. And I, I got a great pastor friend in Western Australia called Jordan Keenan. And I once heard him preaching. He says, you can't reflect what's not touching you. If you're driving down the highway, you have all those little reflectors visible because they're reflecting the light that's touching them. And so if we want to be a reflection of Jesus, we need Jesus touching us. And so the Bible, though, has a lot to say about symmetry. A great first start is Matthew chapter 6. And so there's context. Jesus is on a big hill, and he's preaching to his disciples and, and the crowds. And we, it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And a part of that sermon, he does this thing that we also commonly know as the Lord's Prayer. You'd probably be familiar with some version of it. It'll be on the screen. So it says, Our Father in heaven. So Jesus says, This is how you should pray as a, as a believer. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can somebody say symmetry? Symmetry. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we, forgive, as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. Can somebody say symmetry? And don't let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Interesting. So verse 10, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Symmetry. I love it, what it, how it says it in the Message Bible. It says, as above, so below. And so then, and then the next one, uh, so obviously for, for that, sorry, Jesus is teaching us when we pray, we're meant to be praying that, God, we want heaven's agenda in my life. Whatever the will of, of heaven is, there's got to be the will of my life. Whatever the, what the God the Father wants to have happen, that's what I want to be having happening in my life. Meant, it's meant to be a life of symmetry. Verse 12 said, and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. And then the next verses after that, in uh, 14 to 15, says, if you, forgive those who, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so again, Jesus is saying, symmetry is important. I have forgiven you your sins, therefore you should forgive the sins of others. We are called to a life of symmetry. If God can forgive us, we should be able to forgive the people in our life. And I, I don't want to live a life where ultimately that I can't forgive others because then clearly God ain't going to forgive me. But we are meant to be living a life of symmetry. Then another great part where we learn about symmetry is Matthew 16, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And so Jesus is hanging out with his disciples as he normally does and they're gathered around and then Jesus proposes this question to his disciples. He goes, disciples, who do people say that I am? And then we hear that some say this, some say that, some say something else. Then Peter, one of the disciples, pipes up and goes, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. But saying, I believe you're not just a man, you're not just a good teacher, you are the, the, the thing that can heal my brokenness. You are the person that can cause my sin no longer to control me, but I am now got right relationship with God. And so then with that being said, Jesus goes, ding, yes, very good, Peter, correct. 
you're, you're on the money. And he goes, because of that revelation, he says, you didn't get that revelation just out of like reading a book or something. That was a download from heaven into your life. But with that becomes authority and keys of the kingdom. And so then Matthew 16, 19 in the New King James Version says, And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so we see that we, when we know who Jesus is, when we gain, gain that heaven authority, we get access to things that, again, our lives have symmetry and we're a reflection of heaven on earth. A story to best illustrate, uh, illustrate this in a way, I grew up with uh, three younger sisters. And so when I was in year one, my sister Mariah started coming to school with me and would ride our push bikes to Mount Barker South Primary School. And obviously riding a push bike was quicker than walking. And so then when we'd get to the school, we would get a chain, lock them up, so when we'd leave, for, leave school, our bikes would still be there, obviously. And then I would normally be the responsible one with the key, and then... This one time where I was like, Josh, I really, really want the key. I really want to uh, ha- have the key responsibly. So after school, we get to our bikes. All right, Mariah, where's the key? The key was gone. We lost access. We lost, we lost the, the privilege to be able to ride our bikes home. But then what's awesome, though, with what we read in this scripture, we don't lose access. When we know who Jesus is, we don't lose access. We gain access to greater ability, to greater efficiency. And I really believe for One Heart Church that we've got to get an understanding that we're not in a kingdom where someone's losing their key and we can't do stuff. No, no, actually we gain keys and we get access to the bikes of the Spirit that we can bind heaven and loose things just like heaven so we can have heaven on earth in our lives. And I believe that we can live lives of symmetry. And a great thing of symmetry as well, we started with Luke 15, 7, we, there should be there's joy in heaven when a lost person gets saved. When someone repents and says, "You know what? I'm broken and I need you, Jesus," it says there's joy in heaven. And our church, One Heart Church, should be one of the greatest parties going on, not because it's a good vibe, but because we're having symmetry with heaven, saying, "You know what? If it matters to God, it matters to me. If that person's alive in Christ, well, I'm so excited, I'm so pumped, and that's the very reason why I am here." Does it, will you, thank you, Pastor Kylie. And so point one, broken. People are broken. Point two, beware. Beware of the crowd. And then point three, bubbling. And so how do we move from proximity to symmetry? It comes from point three, bubbling. Bubbling. So John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus is speaking and he says this crazy statement. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Interesting. So the water that, that Jesus gives would say is a river of heaven. But it's not just a, a river of heaven. We would say it is a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. Or we would say it, we could be referred to as the Holy Ghost. And when we tap into that, that source, that, that river of heaven, it says there that there are bubbling come within you. There'll be a stirring within you. And so I want to be a person that has that fresh, that fresh bubbling spring within me. I want the Holy Spirit within my life. And so I got this here, this beautiful glass uh, bottle of Coke. Beautiful. Can't beat glass Coke, hey? It's the best. Cheers. Perfect. Just the way I like it. See that nice little bubbles? 
you know, like, see, nothing against Pepsi. Pepsi has its place. But Coke gives you a nice throat scratch. You know what I mean? Next time you drink Pepsi, you're like, hmm, very smooth. But Coke has a nice scratch to it, right? Because it's carbonated, it's bubbling. But here's the thing. That Coke was delicious and beautiful and perfect the way it's meant to be. But sometimes you can grab a Coke and it's a bit flat. No one wants that. As Jesus says, don't be lukewarm so you spit it out your mouth. You spit out flat Coke. No one wants that. You want that bubbling, perfect substance of Coke because it's just perfect. Give me a slice of pepperoni pizza. We're in heaven. But we see there, Coke is best when it's bubbling and fresh. But in a similar way, the Christian life, the life of a disciple, we're meant to have a bubbling within us. We're meant to have the Holy Spirit within us. Don't be a flat Coke Christian. No one wants that. We want a, 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 to be a Christian that's alive with the power of God. There's something bubbling within us because that's what people need. I'm, I'm, I'm not content to just come to church and be a flat Coke. I want to be a Coke that, that has bubbles that people go, I need what they have. As, uh, as, as a Peter and John at the temple, what I do have, I give you. What they have is that river of heaven flowing in their life. The Holy Ghost power moving in them, giving them bubbles that helps them be effective. And so the third focus that we're going to look at from Matthew chapter 20 is Jesus. And so Jesus spoke different. Jesus had a different language. So what we see, what did the crowd say? Shut up. Be quiet. Don't disturb Jesus. You're a nuisance. Shh. Right? And what does Jesus say? Speak up. I have time for you. You are the very reason I came. Jesus had a different language. So the crowd, they had proximity to Jesus, but there was no symmetry. Jesus came for the one. His language reflected, I didn't come here just to be famous. I came here to see one person life restored. I came here to see the one person's life changed forever, right? And so uh, what's our response? Are we a crowd Christian or are we a Jesus symmetry Christian? Do we have time for the one or no time for the one? Psalms 37 verse 4 in the New King James Version says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. When I used to read that as a formula for blessing. I used to think it meant, all right, God, I fasted this week or I prayed this week. I've read my Bible. I've came to both services at church and served this week. Time to pay up. I received that pay raise. Ching. I received that bigger house. Ka-ching. I received that girlfriend. Ka-ching. I received that better car, that newer car. That's how I used to read it. God, I've delighted in you. Pay up. And then I got the revelation one day, uh, not quite what not quite what it meant. What it's saying is that when you delight yourself in God, He will give you heavenly downloads. When you actually spend time with the, in God's presence, that fresh bubbling spring within will say, you know what, Josh? You need more compassion. You know what, Josh? You need to be less selfish. You know what, Josh? Who's the one in your life that you're meant to reach? They're not meant to be a nuisance. They're the very reason I've placed you in your school. They're the very reason I've placed you in your work environment, your sporting team. And so we need to delight ourselves in God and let that bubbling spring afresh in your life to go, that is a reason why I've came. We need a heavenly download. We need to get that the desires of heaven and have a symmetry in our lives. A great example is in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. We know the short man in the kids' church. And we, it's, we see that he's in the crowd 
And then Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to go to your house. And so then what does Zacchaeus do? He goes, you know what? I'm not just in a crowd near Jesus, but I'm taking Jesus home. I'm getting Jesus near to me. And the danger with the crowd was that they were so close to Jesus, but then they were still so far. And our purpose is to go, we didn't just come close to Jesus, but we let Jesus come close to us. We didn't, we're not just close, but far, but we're close and changed. And we want to be Christians that get changed, that are, are real disciples of Jesus. And what was great about Zacchaeus then, his desire was greed. So he would have prayed prayers, God, I want a bigger house. I want more money. I want better ways to rip people off. But then because he got close to Jesus and let Jesus get close to him, He's, he transformed from greed to generosity. He goes, you know what? If I've ripped people off, I'm going to be a greater blessing. If people have need, I'm going to be the person that helps them out. And that's a, a great description of someone that went from proximity to symmetry. They weren't just close to Jesus, but they started reflecting who Jesus was. So Jesus had a different language, a language with the agenda of heaven. And so there's a language for us as Christians that we can have access to. So we call it speaking in tongues. It's a language of heaven, and that gives us the agenda of heaven in our life. And 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. And I've got to tell you, church, I need that gift in my life. When I use that language, that's building me in the inside of my man every day. It's saying, you know what? I say, Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, give me heaven's agenda. Where my mind and my heart is lying to me, I need a shift because I want symmetry with heaven. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witness telling people, can everybody say the one, the one about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the world. The whole purpose of being filled with the Spirit is to reach the one and wherever that is. That's the reason why we get filled. We get filled to reach the one. Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. I still believe that we can have tongues of fire on our heads. In the book of Exodus, we see there's a bush lit with fire and Moses goes, wow. But I believe the same fire that hit that bush hit the people's heads in Acts here. And I still believe for a day where we'll be such unity where tongues of fire will combust on our heads. But then it says, and all and everyone, so all people present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And I truly believe the gift of tongues, that heavenly language is a gift for every single Christian and every believer. I don't believe it was for back then in Acts. I don't believe it was for some special people. I believe it's a gift that we all have access to. And I believe when we use that gift, when we use that language, that bubbles up a spring within, there's a bubbling takes place where we move from proximity to symmetry, where we start getting God's agenda, God's motive, and say, that is why I'm here. And so, as I said earlier in the message, there's people in this building today that you might have came, this could be a, uh, you say, you know what? I'm, from, I'm intrigued about this Jesus. I've heard about him, but I want to make a decision today to make him the Lord of my life. I want to make a decision to say, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. And we, as a church, we believe that's your first step 
into a greater relationship with God. And so as a church, we're going to have a prayer come up on the screen and we're going to share it or read it together. But I believe when you pray that prayer and you mean it in your heart, that is the first step to being a disciple and a first step to go, Jesus, I believe your existence, but you don't just exist. You're the Lord and the Saviour of my life. And that's how we can move into a life of symmetry. So church, we're going to pray that together. And if you pray this for the first time and you mean it, I'd love for you to, at the end of the service, come and have a talk to me and I'll just give you some stuff to help you take the next steps of faith. So church, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again to forgive my sins. I ask that you forgive me. I give you my life and invite you to be my Lord and Saviour. Today, I am born again. I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's we just clap our hands and get excited for those that prayed that for the first time. So uh, if, if you can, if you are 